Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Blaschenberg. I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies, and today I'm speaking with Anita Lambert. She's a registered pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health, specifically prenatal and postpartum care. So Anita and I dive deep into the topic of bodily issues and questions pregnant people and new parents have that may be ashamed or afraid to talk about. We're going to talk about incontinence. We're going to talk about kegeling. Was that the answer to all, or is that perhaps something you should stay away from? We're going to talk about prolapse, connecting to your postpartum core, a plethora of topics that I actually find really interesting. So if that resonates with you, or you're just simply curious about learning more information, a lifetime learner, stay tuned. It's really a great conversation. I had a wonderful time. Before we get to that, just a few little things I want to touch base on. So we are smack dab in the middle of our spring New York City teacher training, an amazing group. I'm so excited to be working with these wonderful people. And we're already registering people for the fall. So everything's now on the books for next fall all the way through the spring. Uh, Caprice and I have five teacher trainings lined up. We're going to be doing our New York fall teacher training. Then we'll be back in Charlotte at Yoga One for the late fall. That is November and December. January and February, we're going to be going to Washington, D.C. I am so excited. We'll be at Willow Street Yoga and then back into New York City for March and April. And then April and May, we're returning to Richmond, Virginia. We're going to be at Yoga Source. So five chances to stay with us. Um, we'll see if five turns out to be too much. You never know until you're there what's, what's too much. But this year we did four and it was manageable and very exciting. So check out, if you're interested in our 85-hour teacher training, check that out. Um, I have Who's Afraid of the Pregnant Yogi is already up and running. It's my online course. Wonderful group of people. Thrilled to be working with them. And then last thing, if you're enjoying this podcast, which I hope you are, and you feel you want others to know about it, which I'd appreciate if you do, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play, wherever you're listening to this. It just helps get the word out more. I put a lot of love and effort into finding guests that I really resonate with and I'm excited to speak with and then share that with you. So I just hope we can continue to share the love. And then the very last thing is... As you know, I love this podcast. It is truly a passion of mine. And one way to help keep it growing and moving is through donations. So again, it could be a donation of your energy by leaving a rating or review or a monetary donation, which you can do on our website. Okay. I have rambled enough. Let's take a break and then we'll get right back into chatting with Anita. Enjoy. Hi, Anita. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing, Deb? I'm doing well. So it's fun to now connect with you on the other side of this whole world you're in, because last time I spoke to you, you were quite pregnant. <laughs> yes. I think I was 
37 weeks, I think, uh, with Jack when we had you on uh, our podcast, To Birth and Beyond. So yeah, it's a little different now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So for our listeners, you might hear some baby sounds because Anita's juggling many things, including a child sleeping on her lap. But that's that's parenthood. So we're just going to roll with it. So I guess since I I love talking about, I mean, you know, you've listened to my podcast, listened to yours. I love that we've connected body issues. (laughs) pelvic floor, abs, like where other people might be like shy away from that, I get incredibly excited. So (laughs) I thought today's talk would go really towards the postpartum and, or maybe even some prenatal, but questions that people sometimes are afraid to talk about or ashamed, like incontinence, you know, just some of that, that stuff that becomes the new normal that many people keep, um, hidden and then they can't ever seek support. So I think that's where we're going to go today. I'm so excited. I know people are like, she's excited to talk about incontinence. I am. I really am. So well, no, it's great to meet more people who are in the birth or health or fitness world who do want to talk about it because I totally agree. I think so many people are going through it, but no one knows there's resources. Um, and getting more people talking about just gets people to realize how common it is, but you don't have to actually up with it. Right. Cause a healthy pelvic floor is your birthright. It's not something that, you know, we just have to kind of tolerate, but before we get kind of into the nitty gritty, let's just hear a little bit about you and how you got into the whole pelvic health and birth work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so as a women's health physiotherapist, and I know everywhere is a little bit different. So in the U S you'll hear physical therapist here in Canada, we're physiotherapist. Um, so my practice is a combination of pelvic health, which is uh, and can involve internal work and assessing the pelvic floor internally, as well as orthopedic or musculoskeletal physiotherapy. So that's addressing neck, shoulders, back, um, pretty much all the uh, all the areas of the body. Um, and my focus is really prenatal and postpartum um, and preparing for birth. So I've really uh, niched down my practice. Um, and I do have an athletic and dance background. So that's actually why I got into physiotherapy in the first place. Um, and my interest, um, over the years has come into, you know, helping expecting, um, and new moms and season moms have, you know, a comfortable and active pregnancy confidence going into birth, um, and an efficient postpartum recovery so that they can get back to, um, activities or sports or just day-to-day things without dealing with these, you know, symptoms that, we'll be talking about and kind of you already alluded to. And um, yeah, so it's a bit about uh, my practice. And I do have uh, two little ones. So I've got my three-month-old right now, Jack, um, here with me, and then my three-year-old Pippa. Um, And I actually got into pelvic health before I ever got pregnant um, with my daughter. I I had been a physio for a number of years and And what I was noticing was in my practice, I was actually starting to see a lot of um, pregnant clients. And when I got into my physiotherapy career, I also had done um, Pilates rehab training. So right from the get-go, I had kind of meshed together some traditional, what you would think as physiotherapy techniques, but also Pilates rehab, like clinical Pilates, and brought it together. And so I was seeing a lot of pregnant clients. clients start to come through my practice and seeing these amazing um, just changes that they weren't having to deal with, you know, pain. And even a lot of the pelvic floor symptoms we'll talk about with the Pilates side, 
there was a lot of positive changes. Um, and then I would combine that with manual therapy um, and different, uh, you know, fascial work and uh, that as well. And so basically kind of over the years when I was starting to see that more and more, I was realizing like how much fun it was working with them and just seeing those results. Um, and one client in particular, I'll, I'll never forget because I think she really kind of inspired me, was one of my clients who was pregnant with twins. And I had seen her um, after her first pregnancy, which was um, with the singleton with her son. And I had seen her for, you know, SI joint pain, Achilles issues. And we had dealt with those and resolved those. And then she got pregnant with twins. And she was like, you know what, with my first pregnancy, it was like horrible. Like I had so much pain, so much pelvic girdle pain. I really want to avoid that this time with twins. So we did a lot of the Pilates rehab combination of a lot of things. And she was just so surprised that how a twins pregnancy, she had little to no pain was much more mobile, much more active compared with her first pregnancy. So that really, you know, got me thinking, you know, I really want to work even more with this population. So then um, I ended up uh, kind of transferring to a women's health specific clinic. Um, and this was in Toronto, Canada. And uh, eventually I did my pelvic health, so the internal um, training and then brought that all together, which really made my practice a lot more holistic because I mm -hmm. feel like that internal part was just, it just adds so much. And we'll talk a bit more about that. But to really know what the pelvic floor does is can really impact um how someone heals and just how they move forward with exercise. So I did that. And then I also did specific doula training for physiotherapists. So it kind of blended traditional doula training with the biomechanics and a lot of the physiotherapy techniques and brought it together. Um, and then I brought that also into my practice, which was really neat. And I was able to really go even deeper into birth prep um, for a lot of clients. And uh, since then kind of never looked back. So my current practice is in Peterborough, Canada. We moved from Toronto a couple years ago, and it's called Holistic Health Physiotherapy. Um, and then I also, as we talked about earlier, um, I co-host a podcast, To Birth and Beyond, with Jesse Mandel, who's a pre-postnatal fitness um, coach on the west coast of Canada. Um, and then I'm in the midst of creating an online program just to help expecting moms understand, you know, how to prepare their body, including their pelvic floor for birth, which gives them a head start on their postpartum recovery. So that, uh, yeah, that pretty much kind of sums up where I, where, uh, how I got into women's health and kind of where I am today. Oh, it's exciting. You have so much going on. Can mm. we look at, there was something you said, I don't think I'd realized that you, I know you did doula work, but how do you apply your physiotherapy into the doula work. I can imagine we both know about, and I know I've talked to you a lot about this, like a balanced pelvic floor is going to affect fetal position. So do you do manual manipulation? If you're in the middle of a birth and you're like, okay, baby seems malpositioned, pelvis seems off. Now, again, we, I'm all about like scope of practice, but you have a different scope of practice mm -hmm. um, because you know, <laughs> this is actually your thing. So, so you can cross a line where a lot of other doulas can't. So when you're actually at a birth, do you do manipulation? So we could in terms of externally, and I would love to get back to doing births. I haven't been to birth since actually before my daughter, just with little ones and being on call that just didn't, hasn't worked with my practice currently, but I would love to get back to it. But yes, exactly. As a physio, we could. Now, even though I am a pelvic physio, so I can do internal work, 
during a birth, there would be no internal work happening. So it's more looking at um, external techniques, cranial sacral techniques. Actually, at Jack's birth, um, one of my physio colleagues um, who did the physio doula training with me, she was our doula. So she was able to do in terms of some techniques externally, um, which were really helpful um, around my pelvis. So yeah, it kind of combines those. And also I feel... It's a really neat way to problem solve just because we're so in tune, not just with the pelvic floor, but just with the biomechanics of what is happening with the pelvis in all these different positions. That if we can figure out, okay, if baby, let's say, is in a position like an OP position or a position that maybe isn't the most optimal um, during labor, where, you know, what can we do to help encourage or give space for that baby, which I know a lot of doulas do as well. And so as a physio, there's, um, just other training that we've done that we would be able to maybe think of other ways of also encouraging that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It reminds me of when mm-hmm. I did some spinning babies work about yes. like the psoas mm-hmm. and just the fascia. Yeah. So I just get excited to hear that totally mm-hmm. off topic from what we're talking about, but you know me, I, <laughs> I start talking yeah. birth and body and babies and we go down a dark rabbit hole. All right. Let me pull us a little bit back on topic. So you did talk, you know, a, a bit about the work you do. It differs from traditional practice. Can you go a little more into that? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, because yeah, definitely with my practice, I've niched down quite a bit. So I only see women now in my practice. Um, I would say pretty close to hundred percent of clients who see me do have a pelvic health issue on top of orthopedic issues. So, um, knees and shoulders. So they could have, you know, a shoulder injury, but also be having incontinence. So we can, you know, address both of those. Um, and I would say pretty much like 80 to 90% of my practice is prenatal or within the first 10 years postpartum. Um, and then the other percentage of clients would be either before ever having children, or I even see, um, some girls who are in the the teenage years, we don't do internal, but there's a lot of external, a lot of education, um, that we can do, especially, I would say that population, it's a lot of either incontinence um, with sports or pelvic pain. Um, And then also women who are going through menopause. So that's kind of the either end of the spectrum, but majority I see are pregnancy and postpartum. Um, And then, yeah, bringing the, um, not only the clinical Pilates side to what I do, the acupuncture, but yeah, the pelvic health, so that internal component to really be able to assess the pelvic floor. Um, bringing that all together, I find clients really appreciate that because I can look at the body really as a whole rather than just, you know, pieces or just from the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, with the, the physio doula training is great too, because bringing that birth prep in, I would say not every physio, uh, has necessarily that training, um, but also comfort level, like, I love, there's some days where every client I see that day is pregnant and we're talking about birth preparation and not everyone has that training or comfort level. So that's also something a little bit more unique and it's great to see that area of our profession grow as well. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so I'd say that that's kind of where things are a little bit more unique with my practice. Um, and I would say in terms of a pelvic health physio or pelvic floor physio, even around the world, everyone is a little bit different. Um, some are very, you know, focused and isolate on the pelvic floor, whereas the training I did and the continue education I do, it's really looking at the body as a whole. So even if someone comes in 
their main issue is eye have incontinence. I am leaking urine, let's say when I'm squatting. We need to look at the whole body. If we only look at the pelvic floor, that's only one piece of the puzzle. And it may not necessarily be their pelvic floor is the main issue or the only issue. There's this whole pressure system um, that really you have to look at the whole body to be able to, you know, decipher why they're actually experiencing the issue. Mm-hmm. I 100% agree. So let's start to dig into what are the most common issues you see your clients come in to talk to you about? Yeah. So I'll go through um, each one and just briefly mention, because I know some people um, may not be familiar with some of the terms that we'll talk about, right. just, yeah. so just so everyone gets an idea. So I would say incontinence is a big thing. So that's you know, leaking urine, um, basically, if you're not sitting on the toilet, a lot of people think, oh, you know, I just leak a couple drops. And it's like, well, no, that still is actually incontinence. Um, but also leaking stool or gas. A lot of people are surprised that, oh, that's even related to the pelvic floor, which it is. So that would be incontinence. Um, and Wait, then also you're saying I- people shouldn't people shouldn't release gas. Like, isn't everyone, doesn't well, everyone, if they don't, if they don't want to. So, oh, okay. yes. so that is the thing you should be able to release gas when you want to. And it is something in terms of releasing. It isn't a bad thing. Um, but I do have clients coming in and being like, I can't control when I Got want this to happen okay. or not happen. Yes. Yeah. And that can be definitely public floor related. Um, and then also diastasis and, I'll just briefly mention this, but I loved the podcast you did recently with Solange and Lindsay. So if anyone's wondering, I would definitely say to go back to that episode. They did a great job talking about diastasis and up-to-date information around it. Mm -hmm. Um, So traditionally, diastasis is thought of um, as a gap kind of between the abdominal muscles, which is very common in pregnancy and is actually very normal in pregnancy. Um, And then looking at how this uh, heals postpartum. And the big idea now, it's really around tension of that connective tissue between the abs. It's not so much about how far apart my abs are, um, are are we going to close the gap is kind of the big thing traditionally. And the way we look at now is the abs may not fully close, but that doesn't necessarily function. It doesn't affect necessarily the profile of your abdomen. So for more, like much more detail, I definitely would recommend that episode you did. I thought it was fantastic. Thanks. And I feel like it's so new that last couple years that this is the new understanding before it was like two fingers, two fingers. Now it's like, okay, what's that linea alba feel like? So I get very excited anytime we can talk about that because it's a a whole new acceptance that there can be separation, but we have to look at the integrity there. So I'm glad you like that. Thank you. Yeah. It's yeah. I think it's one of the misconceptions right now is if there's space between the abs, it's a dysfunction or it's pathological, there's something wrong. Um, and I think a lot of my clients kind of breathe a sigh of relief when I'm like, well, first of all, during pregnancy, third trimester is extremely rare not to have any space. Like it is a, is a great, you know, ability of our body to make that space for the baby. It's needed. Right. Um, but yeah, exactly. It's that the integrity of that tissue between the abs and, and how well, you know, we can get forced through there again. Um, and then also in terms of prolapse. And so this refers to, um, the bladder, it could be the urethra, the bladder, um, the uterus, the rectum starts to kind of lean in towards the vaginal canal, or it could also be, um, the top of the vaginal canal starting to lower, or it can also be the rectum starting to lower with it, you know, outside of the rectum basically. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that after. 
um, urinary frequency. So women come in and they're just like, you know what? Um, I'm going to the bathroom like every 20, 30 minutes. And this is totally disrupting my day. So that would be frequency urgency, having to rush to the bathroom. Like you should never really have to rush to the bathroom occasionally if you've, you know, had a ton, a ton of liquid. But if this is happening every time you're going to the bathroom or even every time you're going to the bathroom, that would be considered urgency. Pelvic girdle pain. So that can be pain in the pubic bone. So in the front, the SI joint, the tailbone, the hips, anywhere around the pelvis. Um, Extremely common I see actually in pregnancy and then also postpartum. Um, cesarean birth recovery. I think a lot of people don't even realize that that's uh, a common thing we see as physiotherapists, but I have clients come in and they may have symptoms. So pain around the scar, um, back pain, uh, incontinence, all the other things I've mentioned, but, um, addressing the scar is really key because that can actually affect so many of those other issues. So most have no idea about massaging their scar um, or even just all the layers of what's underneath that scar. We just kind of see the outside. So that is very common. And then I'd say actually one of the really ones is internal pelvic pain. So pain with intercourse, pain with penetration, pain with, you know, pap exams, putting a tampon in, Divacepin and, I would say that's also very common that women just get told, eh, it, you know, you're pregnant, you've had a baby, it's going to just kind of be like that. Or some get told, you know, have a glass of wine and relax, like in terms of for intercourse. I and it's like, heard that is a response. That's a little yeah, uh, belittling. Yeah, 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 definitely. I have heard that a number of times that clients have been told that. Um, and there's just so much more to it. And it, and I think also to the misconception with the internal pelvic pain or pain with intercourse is that you've had a vaginal birth. And I would say I see a lot of uh, women who actually have never had kids have um, pain with that or after cesarean birth. So they never actually had the baby come out vaginally and they actually have pain with intercourse. So there's there's a lot of love or layers to it of why that can be an issue. Um, and then I also see women who now that pelvic floor is kind of catching on all over the world, I get clients coming in. They're like, you know what? I don't have any of these issues. I really don't want to have any of these issues. What can I do to you know connect with my core, my pelvic floor? How can I get more in tune with this area? So I can do everything I can in hopes to avoid it. And as physiotherapists, we can never say we can 100% prevent anything. Um, But the fact that I do see that connecting to that area, you know, especially before giving birth can just have so many benefits on birth itself, but also postpartum. Um, So I'd say those are are the, the key things. And I do see a lot of athletes, whether you know, whether it's um, clients who love going to the gym, I've seen a lot of CrossFit uh, clients, which I think oh, don't there's... even get me started on <laughs> some strong feelings I about see that. A lot. Yeah, and so so working with um, athletes of all different levels and all different sports and dance, I love seeing dancers, especially with my background in that. Um, because as dancers, and I know with your background in dance too, like we're, we were always taught, you know, draw in, suck in tight, like everything just needs to stay tight the whole time. And then as you get to know the core more, you realize, no, actually it's a pressure system. Like there needs to be ebb and flow in the system and you shouldn't be clenching everything constantly. And same with my athletes, like my runners, teaching them do not clench your pelvic floor the whole time you're running. It's actually not going to serve you. And it actually could contribute to why you're leaking 
or again, my weightlifters, strength trainers, um, Yogis. Let's put yogis in there because there's certain exactly. schools of yoga where yes. they just moolabanda it up to their eyebrows. Oh, like we shouldn't yeah. be. And I was actually, um, something I recently got about a year ago, I got a Peloton bike and I was listening to one of the teachers. She's like, you should always have your abs tight. Like someone's going to punch you. And I'm literally yelling at a screen by myself. Like, no. So yeah. I think there's a lot of misconception that strong and tight where we forget it's about balance. Yeah, it's balanced. And that's the thing. If you think about any part of your body, like you don't walk around with like your bicep contracted the whole time or with your quad contract, like even when you're walking your quads and your hams, like there's so many muscles that are giving and taking and contracting and relaxing that our pelvic floor and our core system is no different. It shouldn't be on a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the day. Like it just doesn't make sense with the rest of the body, but you're right. We've kind of been taught that in many ways around exercise. And so now there's more, I'm glad to see much more education around, no, it's actually, that's not necessarily going to benefit you. All right. So we started to talk a little bit about incontinence. Let's lean into that a little bit more. So we know it's common for people to have it, but we just don't want people to accept it as their new norm, their new life. Like, okay, I'm incontinent. I better always near a bathroom. So people deserve to have a healthy pelvic floor. So can you talk a little bit about why it shouldn't just be accepted? And then also what can people do about it? Yeah. So it really shouldn't be accepted. So incontinence, whether you're, you know, leaking when you cough or sneeze or exercise, or as you mentioned, rushing to the washroom, um, or a mix of the two, it shouldn't be accepted. It's basically a symptom that something is going on in our body or that inner core system that could be working better. Because for example, if we had shoulder pain, we can conceptualize, okay, what is going on that's causing my shoulder to have pain? But when it comes to incontinence, we feel ashamed to talk about it, or we're just kind of told it's just, you know, part of, part of life basically. Um, and so it's just a sign that inner core system isn't quite working as well as it could. So that inner core system uh, involves that diaphragm. If you think of a canister, so a diaphragm on top, the pelvic floor is on the bottom and your transverse abdominis, which is that deep corset muscle. And so basically if the pressure in that canister, um, isn't kind of shared around equally, um, or able to have a give and take during those motions. So like a cough or sneeze, um, then you'll have some leaking. So, Sometimes it can be just as simple as reconnecting to example, the diaphragm. And I know in terms of with yoga, that's obviously a big component. Um, but as I'm sure you've seen too, and I see in my practice, not everyone necessarily is connected to their diaphragm or understands how it works. So even, or landing from a jump. So for example, clients I see who want to be skipping or doing box jumps or just any sort of jumping, if teaching them how to change that pressure in the system when they land could actually take away their leaking. And sometimes it can actually be that fast. So with thinking of that canister, um, for example, landing from a jump. So what should happen is when you land from a jump, our pelvic floor should lift and our diaphragm should lift too. So how that, that core canister works is as we inhale, our diaphragm lowers and pelvic floor should lower. And as we exhale, both should reflexively lift. Um, and when that doesn't necessarily happen, then we could have leaking. So for some clients, I actually teach them how to exhale when they land from a jump. And that exhale can actually help reflexively lift that pelvic floor with their diaphragm, which could actually change their leaking. And sometimes that's exactly, that's kind of what we need to work on. Um, 
But for others, there can be different components. There could be um, a weakness in the pelvic floor or how it's connecting to the rest of that canister. So working on that, something we call, um, you may hear core breath or core connection breath. So even just practicing that as you inhale and feeling like a 360 breath expand into your ribs. And as you're doing that, the pelvic floor should relax, which you don't get a lot of feedback on. I think people often think you should feel your pelvic floor do every bit of this movement, but actually when you relax your pelvic floor, you may not feel much happen. And then as you exhale, the diaphragm lifts, lifts and the pelvic floor. So you could be thinking lots of different imagery. It could be um, a blueberry at the vaginal opening, the rectal opening, thinking of, you know, gently squeezing and lifting. You could be thinking of a jellyfish lifting. Some people think of a milkshake through a straw lifting vaginally. All these different imagery. I know with yoga, yoga is fantastic, um, you know, for thinking of that imagery as well. So those are some of the ways to reconnect um, to those muscles. And if you want, I can actually include or send some resources or trips, even yeah, just some, be great. On, some online programs, um, some individuals. So even Jesse Mandel, who's my uh, podcast co-host, has some great online um, programs. Also Julie Weeb, who's a fantastic, um, physical therapist in the U S who talks about this as like a piston breath. If you think of like a piston on a car, if, when you inhale, it lowers as you exhale, it lifts. I think um, of a jellyfish, two jellyfishes yeah. working together. Exactly. So I think once, and I do a lot of education like that with my clients, even before we get into a lot of the um, objective or like the assessment part where I'm looking at their muscles and joints and actually at the pelvic floor, because I think until you can visualize that core system and understand how it works, that it's going to be a lot harder to connect to it until you actually can do that. So I would say that would be a big part is, you know, that core canister, that inhale, that exhale versus just clenching. So I'd say the big takeaway with incontinence too is just try to avoid the traditional just clenching your pelvic floor, gripping for dear life, because that actually in the end, very rarely, if ever, actually helps incontinence. So understanding the pelvic floor should be able to relax and lift and engage. So it's about both. Yeah, that answers um, my question about a lot of people just say like, oh, I'm leaking, I'm just going to Kegel, I'm just going to Kegel everything up. And we even tell our teacher trainees to be mindful of your language, like, it's not about tighten, squeeze. You know, I think there's a misconception about how to do pelvic floor work and then, again, how to use your pelvic floor because, as you're saying, sometimes it can worsen it. Like my teacher, Leslie Howard, talked about she created more dysfunction because she thought, oh, I better just keep kegeling, and she made it worse. So can you can you jump into that a little bit, like the difference between urge and stress and incontinence and why kegeling may not be the answer? May not. Yes. Yeah. So stress incontinence, which refers to a stress on the body versus like necessarily stress. We picture that kind of mental stress. So it's that coughing, sneezing, landing from a jump. So anytime there's kind of force on that core canister, and if that canister can't again, distribute that pressure, there may be leaking. Um, or with urgent incontinence, that rushing to the bathroom. And what can actually be the issue, it's not necessarily that the pelvic floor is loose and lax, which I think a lot of people picture, especially after having a baby. Um, it can actually be that we over-recruit or those muscles are constantly clenching. So in kind of a shortened position, if you picture um, like a bicep curl, if you're constantly in almost a full bicep curl and you're walking around with your pelvic floor like that, 
it needs to be able to lengthen and contract. So that I often see too. So for a lot of clients, actually step one we're, we're doing if in terms of specific to the pelvic floor isn't necessarily how um, how to strengthen, how to contract. It's actually how to let go because their pelvic floor is used to living high up or always activated, over-recruited. So we actually, I'm teaching them how to use their breath to let their pelvic floor kind of almost come down to ground level if you picture a house. So then we can actually go up to the upper floors versus the pelvic floor living on those upper floors the whole time. That's a great description. I think it's a great description. Yeah, we talk like an elevator Kegel, mm-hmm. but I think I like your house even better. <laughs> your mm-hmm. house imagery. I might mean, steal that from you. Is you your, I want to go move on to... <laughs> credit you, but I'll still have to. So before I move on to my yeah. next topic of prolapse, is there mm-hmm. anything else you want to say about incontinence? Yeah, I would say, um, basically what we talked about is just don't, I, I really urge people not to accept that it just has to be part of life. There's so many, you know, seeing a pelvic floor physio, but also there's just so many resources out there. And if you're just being told that you just have to put up with this or the other, the other end of it is you're just going to have to get surgery eventually. To know there actually is an in-between, that you actually can be working on it in various ways. Um, don't feel like you just have to kind of settle and this will be just the way life is. I'd also add that inviting people to get to know the state of their pelvic floor, you know, because if someone is really tight and gathered engaged, they may not know that, you know, so explore. Um, Leslie had us do, and I did this training, you know, on our own, um, internal work to feel like, is it tight? Or even think like, okay, when I put a tampon, is it, does that hurt? You know, so take a step back and try to figure, is my pelvic floor overly engaged? Is it not enough support? Because then, we can then try to help ourselves, but I am firmly a believer and seek someone who knows it too. Like, so what, and once you feel it's this dysfunction, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. go to someone that can help you. But if that's, you know, if you're reading a book or you're in class and they're like tight, 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 you might be like, pause. Yeah. <laughs> I would not. say one of, one of the key, I mean, a lot of things with incontinence, it could be either end or it could be a lot of tension in the pelvic floor or not. But I would say if you're having pain with intercourse or like you said, tampon, diva cup, Anything internal, that's generally a pretty good sign that the pelvic floor is over-recruited or Mm -hmm. that there is some amount of tension there. So Mm -hmm. that can be a pretty good sign that um, you may need to learn to let go before working on the strength component. Yes, I totally, totally agree. All right, let's jump into prolapse. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're we're hitting all the fun topics today. Can you explain what pelvic organ prolapse is as well as how common is it? Yeah, so... In terms of how common it is, it's 25 to 50%. So you'll hear different numbers, but it really does depend on age range as well. Um, and a, I think a big misconception is a lot of people think it has to do with menopause, um, post-menopause, that's the only time you get prolapse, but actually it can be quite common among newer moms. Um, 50%, and, that's a huge, yeah. I did not, wow, yeah. wow, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's more in um, the age range, more towards menopause and, and um, more kind of the newer moms that can be around 25%, but it's that awareness of like, it does exist throughout the age ranges. Um, and so it refers to, it can be the urethra, it can be the bladder, um, the uterus or rectum starts to lower kind of towards the vaginal canal come or come towards the opening. And for some, it can come out of the opening. 
Now, I think the common um, thought is prolapse, unless I can kind of feel it outside of my body, that it doesn't exist. And a prolapse that has gotten to that point is more what we call like a grade four or a stage four where it's out. Um, and there's lots of stages before that. So that's why as a, as a pelvic physio, what can be great is we can notice these changes happening a lot sooner um, and then be working on different strategies to help. Um, with that idea of being able to kind of manage, potentially reduce the stage. Not everyone reduces the stage, kind of depending, um, but managing symptoms and just how to uh, do your activities, do your sport, sports without necessarily symptoms of the prolapse. Um, and so, and then there also can be, so a, a rectal prolapse is actually when the rectum starts to come out of the rectal opening. So that's more rectal prolapse. But a rectocele, you may hear, is when the rectum starts to lean into the vaginal canal, which is also called a rectal prolapse by some people. So just to not get confused that there can be kind of those two happening. Um, and another type of prolapse is called the vaginal vault prolapse. So this is where the top of the vaginal canal internally can actually start to lower towards the opening. This tends to be with more of a hysterectomy because with a hysterectomy, when um the, the space of the uterus, or there is a space because the uterus not being there, then the top of the vaginal um, space itself can start to lower. So um, that would, I would say, more be, you know, post-hysterectomy just because of that space being there. Um, and some, some things you may actually be feeling with it. It could be, you know, a heaviness feeling, feeling like something is falling out of the vaginal canal, even though you may look and you may not see anything. And that could be that it's an earlier stage. Um, or you may see a visible bulge at the vaginal opening. Uh, you may feel like you're sitting on something. Um, or if you're using a tampon and diva cup, if it doesn't stay in place, sometimes that could mean that maybe there's a degree of prolapse there. So it's not allowing it to stay in. Um, and for some people, it can actually be a backache. And then we end up assessing and there could be prolapse um, involved with that. So there's a lot of different, I like to talk about the different symptoms just because I think most people, again, think prolapse is if it's, you know, if I can see it outside my body, I have prolapse, but that's uh, quite a bit of a later stage. And so there's kind of four stages. So uh, one is, you know, it's slightly lower Two, it's kind of halfway down um, the uh, vaginal canal. Three is it's quite at the opening or slightly past the opening, depending on the grading system. And four would mean that it's out. Um, and it tends to be assessed, oftentimes traditionally is in line and having um, the client valsava, so kind of push down, bear down um, quite a bit or cough. And those are tend to be the ways it's assessed. But also it can be worth assessing in standing to see what it's like, because with gravity, that's going to change how um, the organ may sit. So depending on the client, depending who I'm seeing, depending what their symptoms are, their concerns are, uh, we'll assess in actually different positions. I had prolapse after my first, and I actually think part of it's because I was given some bad advice about using a binder. And the advice was make it as tight as you can. And I actually ended up adding Velcro to it to tighten it up, which clearly in hindsight, I'm like, well, that was bad. Cause I remember all of a sudden one day walking and I'm like, something feels wrong. Like I hadn't felt it after the birth. 
And then mm-hmm. a few weeks later, I felt it. And I ended up having prolapse. So I went to, went to Pamela Morris, and she's the PT that I said, put me back together, um, <laughs> like Humpty Dumpty. And she, she gave me a very regimented uh, pelvic floor work, and, I, and she did internal, and I saw her for like three months. And it dramatically, and again, I was also further postpartum at that point, but it really dramatically changed the whole situation. It was, as a new parent, I was really taken, like, what's going on? I was already thrown for a loop after having such a long birth and being a first-time parent to feel something was wrong with my vagina at that point. And then luckily I had the resources to connect with someone, but not everyone does. So that's why I really want to dive into this because it can, it can be resolved. Um, I did remember her telling me that some people, they need surgery. So can you talk a little bit about some therapies that people mm. may need? What, you know, um, like, what would you do with somebody if they come in and anywhere from like one degree to four degree, where would you go mm-hmm. with that? Yeah. So it's interesting because how I talked about with incontinence, that pressure system with prolapse, a lot of it, we were looking at that pressure system. Um, cause yeah, if you kind of picture that balloon and for some clients, when they come in and we do the assessment and I'm looking initially at breathing and posture and movement, and then we check internally and we find that there's a degree of prolapse. Then going back to some of those daily habits. So for some who like kind of like your binder idea that constant drying in for some, it's like we start with, with changing habits. So especially postpartum mom, there can be a lot of, um, kind of trying to suck the belly in basically postpartum to try to, you know, even it's a very normal to, you know, in terms of for our belly to be larger postpartum. Um, and so a lot of women feel self-conscious. So there's constantly drawing in and sometimes it's changing that pressure. So, you know, educating, you need to be able to relax that takes pressure off the organs, which can actually help, um, prolapse as well and symptoms. Um, again, and we're looking at, you know, there could be tension in the pelvic floor because for some, when they discover they have prolapse or they feel the symptoms even before coming in, they're used to clenching their pelvic floor because they're trying to hold um, in, in their mind. They're like, I just want to hold everything in, so I'm going to clench. But then by doing that, they, they've learned to over-recruit their pelvic floor. So that can be an area that we're working on. Um, and yeah, I, I would say the biggest thing is the pressure system. Um, so similar to incontinence, but seeing what you know, problem solving through what they need to actually work on with that. Um, for some, a pessary can be helpful. So a pessary refers to its... Um, there's different shapes, but it can be made of silicone, tends to be fitted by an OBGYN, um, but actually different parts of the world in Canada now, um, pelvic health physiotherapists, if you do specific training, can actually fit them. And you work together with a family doctor or an OB um, to consult and to make sure that the client is being followed up properly. But basically what a pessary is, is you can fit it internally and it can help support whatever organ or the area um, that is experiencing the prolapse. So for some, they wear it all the time. For others, they wear it specifically for activity or sport, or especially if you think of new moms, like I'm experiencing right now with Jack, who is three months old, and I'm quickly reminded how much they weigh and how much, you know, (laughs) carrying a car seat. And I have a toddler who also sometimes likes to be lifted um, and a stroller and just all these. There's a lot of heavy lifting for new moms that I think gets dismissed or not thought of. So if you're dealing with prolapse, plus you're having to do all this heavy lifting, sometimes a pessary can be a great um, idea to also help along with kind of the rehab side of restoring things. So yeah, I would say basically 
the, the pressure system, potentially a pessary. In terms of, um, for some who want in terms of surgery, or some women just get told, like, this is kind of what you're going to deal with, and then eventually you're just going to have surgery when you're done having kids. And I think, again, similar to incontinence, there's so much in between. And for some, and depending on the degree of prolapse, they may decide they want to have surgery down the road. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. But what I would encourage is similar to any other um, issue in the body, if you're going to have surgery, doing the prehab and the post-surgical rehab is so important to get the most out of that surgery. But also, again, talking to your surgeon um, about what, um, you know, how common is reoccurrence of prolapse because it can be quite common post-surgery. Um, how long would a repair actually last as well? Um, so that is something I encourage people to talk about if, um, if they're thinking about surgery at some point, um, that there's so many other things they can do conservatively to make that surgery, uh, surgery outcome better. Um, but also doing the conservative treatment, you may decide I don't even need to have surgery. I don't want to have surgery. Um, and so that's also a great part as, as a public physio, I love being able to help, um, women kind of discover that side of things too, trying to figure out, you know, how can we reduce symptoms? Um, the stage of prolapse may change as well. Um, so there's just, there's so many lines of treatment um, or ways of, of helping um, mm -hmm. and reducing those symptoms. Yeah, I was yeah. told that when I stopped breastfeeding, things would change. And they did, it actually did, you know, because the estrogen level changes and, and mm -hmm. things kind of rebuild themselves. So I'm glad that you touched on all that because I've had students come in that are very concerned. And a few years back, there were all these um, commercials about like, if you've had vaginal mesh and there's going to be a problem. And having had abdominal surgery for hernia, I could not imagine having, you know, a prolapse surgery it just sounds a little overwhelming. So I'm glad there are many options and people don't need to jump to surgery. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, and like you said, everyone is individual. And I think sometimes, um, people get told, you know, one or the other, like, you know, surgery should never be a part of it, never be an option, like only do conservative or the other way. Exactly. Kind of like surgery is going to be your only option. Don't bother with conservative. And I just think every person is individual, individual needs, individual wants of what they want. Um, kind of out of their symptoms or what they need for their body. So it's kind of exploring all the options, but it's no conservative treatment can be extremely effective um, with changing symptoms regarding uh, prolapse. Yeah, I think people need to know. I actually thought at one point, because when I first went to Pam and I saw when she told me it was about the prolapse, I'm like, oh my God, I thought I was going to have surgery. And I was so happy that I was able to work with her, but that was just me. Like I just surgery is not my, my game, but, um, I totally respect those that want to. All right. Last little bit as we, before we start to wrap up, can let's talk about the postpartum core. I had a student come in, I think it was two weeks ago and we we're doing transverse abs. We we're doing pelvic floor. I have them do pelvic floor work with their hips elevated. Cause that's what was taught to me about draw some of the weight off the pelvic floor to, to try to find those muscles. And she's just like, I have no awareness about anything. She's like a Mack truck could drive through my vagina. I have no awareness. So can you explain a little bit about how someone can just start to find that connection to pelvic floor and abs postpartum? Mm -hmm. I would say starting with the diaphragm. Like that's where I find the breath is so key because what we talked about with that core canister 
pelvic floor and diaphragm work together. So if someone, and again, with pregnancy, our diaphragm tends to get pushed up, right? Like that baby gets priority of her, of her abdomen. So if we haven't become familiar with that diaphragm and that kind of 360 rib breath, if we don't have that working really well, it actually is harder for our pelvic floor. I notice a big difference that with my clients that um, when we're doing the internal assessment and I'm having them find their pelvic floor, if they're not connected to their breath, their pelvic floor is so much harder time activating. So actually what they'll go home with is actually relearning how to breathe and that rib breath, that 360 breath, they come back. And without even trying, their pelvic floor is actually more connected and they can feel it. So I would say number one is that rib breath, 360 breath, get reconnected to that. Um, a lot of people find if they're in neutral spine, so that little bit of curve in the low back, um, I know there can be a lot, that can be a whole discussion on its own. Um, but being in neutral spine, I find clients tend to have an easier time. And it's just because of the length that the pelvic floor sits in with neutral spine, it tends to be a little bit easier um, to activate versus, you know, with the bum tucked under and flat back or, you know, exaggerated the other way. But I always mention with that as well, the key thing is not, you don't, we don't live life in neutral spine. We don't do everything in neutral spine. You need to be able to learn to activate in all different positions. So that might just be where you start, but to know that's not the end. Um, so I'd say that would be the biggest thing. And then how I talked about before that idea of that core, that core connection breath, that as you inhale, that relaxation, as you exhale, any of the imagery that we talked about, I love the, the jellyfish idea. Um, and for some people, you know, even sitting on like an exercise or a birth ball, when you start to get that movement, sometimes you can feel a bit of the perineum lifting. I'll have some people actually put their hand under them on their perineum to, to feel it get a tactile um, response for some people putting their hand a little further back, even around the tailbone, because where the pelvic floor connects, when you exhale and lift, you'll actually feel a little bit of a lift around your tailbone too. So I would say that's a big part too. And that's not something we tend to be comfortable with, right? Like if, you know, a lot of people, when they're coming to see me, they kind of expect that we're going to be talking about their pelvic floor and, you know, whether palpating that externally or internally, but not everyone expects that, you know, going to yoga. But we, um, we use yeah. that. Sometimes I roll up um, a yoga strap and I yes. put it at the perineum because it's not that mm -hmm. comfortable and it, you're very aware of it. So they can actually then feel when they're drawing away. So yeah, I, yeah. it's exact same idea as like the tactile, yeah. like I need actual feedback. Yes. Yeah. Some tactile um, feeling that way. For others who are comfortable in terms of um, internally, the, even palpating their pelvic floor themselves, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it can definitely be hard at the end of pregnancy when I talk about perineal massage with clients. Um if, the, if it's something that they do want to do at that point, it tends to be if they have a partner, I'm like, it's going to be more better. Like, it'll be easier for your partner to do it. It's harder for you to reach that area. Um, but either before that time or postpartum, um, that can be a great way to actually feel. Am I feeling, again, the pelvic floor should be a squeeze and a lift, which a lot of people don't know that there should be a lift with the pelvic floor, but that's what you're going for is a squeeze and a lift. So even internally palpating that. So, um, yeah, a lot of different ways I would say to connect. So diaphragm first, get that rib, the the diaphragm and that rib access, and then layering on the pelvic floor and then the TA, that corset muscle, which it shouldn't be a corset as in when you engage, it should be a really strong squeeze, but there should be some gentle drawing in um, from the bottom of the abdomen up um, 
as you're lifting the pelvic floor too. So that's kind of a, a whole other layer to it. I love hearing all this. I'm like, yes, we're doing the right things with our students. Yes. <laughs> it's always reassuring. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I would love for you to offer a tip or piece of advice for new and expectant parents. And we're back. <laughs> all right. So as we start to wrap up, especially because this is your world, you just had a baby, there's probably a lot rummaging around your mind. What tip or piece of advice can you offer new and expectant parents? So I would say, well, and kind of specific to the pelvic floor and core, while it's never too late, because I think that's really key to know it's never too late. If you're listening and you're pregnant to start now to reconnect or to learn to connect to these muscles, because uh, connecting before I just, I, it happened for myself, but also I see it in clients. When you understand your pelvic floor and core and connect, it can help with your birth and it can help with your postpartum recovery. So I would say if you can start when you're pregnant, that's a great time, even before you're pregnant. Um, but also if you're early postpartum, newly postpartum, learn how to connect. And depending how your birth went, you may be very aware of your pelvic floor in terms of there may be issues going on. So to know that you still can reconnect and there can be a lot of positive changes um, that can happen um, is really key. And then also if you're pregnant, or postpartum and you do have symptoms that they there can be change because I think just so many are just like okay this is the way it is as we talked about so many women I mean there's so many commercials in terms of you're going to have light bladder leakage I feel like that's the big thing right now you hear light bladder leakage with everything day-to-day stuff but um you know and a lot of different products that can be used but I think, again, reconnecting and pelvic floor physio, a lot of great evidence towards it as well um, in terms of helping to resolve or reduce these issues. But again, seeing individuals like yourself, like yoga instructors, fitness professionals who are also training up-to-date information, definitely worth connecting with them. Perfect. That's a great piece of advice. And where can people find your work, including your podcast? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so in terms of my uh, physiotherapy practice, you can find at holistichealthphysio.com. I'm also on Instagram quite often and Facebook at Holistic Health Physio. Um, and then our podcast is called To Birth and Beyond, and you can find that at tobirthandbeyond.com. Um, we're also on Instagram, To Birth and Beyond podcast, but also iTunes and Stitcher. Hey, you guys do a lot on Instagram. I always see you guys pop up in the stories. I'm very impressed with your social media. <laughs> You're welcome. I want to thank you for your time. You know, this is my thing. I love talking pelvic floor. I literally started counting. I'm like, I think I have five and then I lost track just because it's a topic that's fascinating and that I think we need to keep unpacking and uncovering. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah. And thank you so much just for bringing more awareness. Like I've heard so many of your episodes, like I said, with the diastasis one, but you've done so many before that. I just think what you do is helping so many expecting and new parents in air in areas they didn't even know that they actually could get help with. So thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. All right. Enjoy your afternoon. Take care. <laughs> this has been an episode of yoga birth babies produced by prenatal yoga center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.